0: Men, you may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to look at Genesis 50 that Dan read to us just a second ago together. But let's pray first. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. Uh, We thank you that we can come uh, into this place and that you tell us that we can come and lay down our burdens, that you have paid for those, uh, that we can come directly to you because of what Jesus has done. We pray uh, this morning that as we open your word, that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in this place, that you would take the truth of your word and that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds, that you would show us uh, the areas that maybe we weren't trusting you completely. But I pray that as you show us those areas, that you would also show us the grace that you give us and how you meet us in the midst of that. And so we pray that you'd be magnified in our time here together. We pray that we would uh, make much of you. Uh, we just confess that as we do this, as we open your word, we can't do it without you. And so we just ask that you would be our teacher and our guide this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was going to start with just a real brief uh, story. Maybe you know this about me. I know a lot of you I've known for a long time that know this. Uh, some of you may not. Maybe if you're newer to the church or you haven't been around. But uh, I had a, a younger brother, Jed, who died when he was 29 years old in a car wreck. Uh, you may or may not have known that. Uh, my brother... Got into a car late one night, uh, nine years ago, in uh, down in Johns Creek in a Jeep with two other guys, and they tore off through a parking lot, and the guy was driving very recklessly, uh, hit a curb, and my brother Jed was thrown from the car, and he died from his injuries that he sustained. The other two guys walked away from it. Um, the guy that was driving recklessly, uh, that was in a lot of ways very much at fault, uh, just had like, a, I think, a sprained wrist. And, and walked away. Nothing happened. Uh, long uh, went into a long uh, investigation and all sorts of things. Long story of all that is he got a couple weeks of community service and probation. And so that was uh, a very difficult, difficult time in my own life and in my family and my brothers and sisters and my parents and all those things. And as I was reflecting and just thinking back on that and thinking about all those things that go with that, uh, especially even just some of the The things that you deal with. Obviously, it's really hard to lose a loved one, a brother or a sister or parents. And I know many of you have experienced that, that very deep loss of somebody really close to you. You compound that with it seemed to happen from just reckless actions that could have been avoided. And then then you add into all of that the the feelings that you have towards the other people and all the things that go with that. And so I was thinking about those things and thinking about About that time and even the days and weeks after. And I remember very clearly going to God's word and just being comforted by what it says over and over again. Uh, The day after Jed died, I read Job and Revelation. And and I sat there and just God was so gracious just to show that he's going to regenerate all things. That he will make all things new. And there's a great comfort in that. Uh, Then you read in scripture that God is going to set all things right. That he is a God of justice and he will make all things right. And I remember reading those things and being comforted by those things. But then there's parts of the Bible that you would read. And as I was thinking through and dealing with those emotions and all those things. And there's certain things you come through that are really, really hard. Really hard. Uh, I I remember reading in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4 and you get to the end. And Paul's talking about what it means to be a new creation in Christ. And to live this out and live this way. And you get to the end and in verse 31 Of Ephesians four, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You You go, yes, that's true. And I believe that. And it's comforting. And you can read that, but you can go. But what about the guys responsible for killing my little brother? And it says, but. But put those things away and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. You Go, yeah, yeah, God, but it's kind of hard right now. And, And as I say that, and I'm sharing with you just how I was wrestling with that, I can look around the room and I know that so many of you know exactly what I mean. Whatever it is in your life where you've been greatly wronged, Where things have happened or come into your life where you had to deal with those things right in front of you. Where you were deeply wounded and it seems that the person who did it doesn't care. They just kind of walk off. Or you never get an apology. You never get any of those things and it can be really, really hard. Or maybe in your life you feel like you've been really deeply betrayed. Maybe somebody was unfaithful to you. Whatever it may be, I don't know what it is in your life, but I would bet if we went around the room that every single person could share something like that in their life that's really difficult. Something in their life that when they read Ephesians 4, they go, yeah, God, but. It's a big ask. You ever felt that way? Maybe you feel that way this morning as I just bring that up and think about it. You you can read those verses and you can get to the end And you can say, yeah, but they deserve my anger. They deserve my wrath. I have a right to feel that way. And when you're wrestling with that, and then the clear command of Scripture, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, how do you get there? How do you do that? And start there because we're going to end in Genesis today. Today's going to be our last uh, kind of wrapping up of Genesis. We've been in it for six months. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph and the last things he says here to his brother. And this is the story of Joseph and what happens here. Joseph was deeply, deeply wounded by his own brothers. They hated him. They had set their uh, sights on killing him. Only at the last minute do they change their mind and sell him into slavery and rip his whole life away from him. All these things that happen. He's betrayed. He's sold into slavery. As a direct result, he wrongfully ends up in prison for years and years and years. And you see, all this happened to Joseph. But all along the way, you see how God's working. And he's keeping him and he's protecting him and he's teaching him and he's shaping him and he's molding him. And he brings them to a place of power under Pharaoh, the second most powerful man in all the land. And God does all these things. And then finally his brothers show up before him. And he forgives them. He's tender hearted, forgiving them. He puts away anger and malice and says, I'm going to take care of you. And you go, how in the world does that happen? How does he get to that? And so I want us to think about that as we look at Genesis chapter 50 this morning. Just those last few verses. We'll go back to chapter 45 and look at a couple verses there. But here's what I want us to consider when we think about this idea of forgiveness and what we see of Joseph and what God calls us to and how that works. And the first thing I want us to consider is first why we need to forgive. Why we need to forgive. Secondly, I want us to consider how do we forgive like this? Like Paul calls us to, like we see Joseph here. How does that happen? How do we forgive like this? And then lastly, the freedom that it brings when we do. So why we need to forgive, how we do it, and the freedom it brings when we do. And so let's just start with this idea of why we even need to forgive to begin with. You know, when we've been really, really wronged, and again, I know a lot of you, I know some of your stories and different times when that's happened. I'm sure all of us could share those different things. But what often happens when something really uh, hard comes into our life where we feel like we're really wronged, it's very difficult for, to forgive. Oftentimes we'll go to those closest to us and share what happened. And we'll say, this is what happened and this is what this person did. And often it's met with people kind of meeting us in the middle of that and walking with us. And we should do that. We're called to carry one another's burdens and walk alongside. But what can often happen is we then come alongside and we say things like, well, you have a right to be angry and you might be careful how I say that Uh, a little earlier in Ephesians four, Paul actually says, be angry, but do not sin. So you can be angry without sinning. There are things that we're to be angry at that go against what God's told us. That's not wrong to feel that way. But what can often happen is we can begin to say things like you're right to be angry. You're right to hold a grudge. You're right to not forgive them. Until they come back and grovel and ask, you should just not have anything to do with that person. And we'll start to kind of feed into those types of things. And we'll start to carry it that way. I have every right to feel this way. And so I'm going to be angry. And I'm going to hold this grudge. And I'm going to feel this way. If anyone had that right, when you look at their life, I would say Joseph falls into that category. I would bet, I don't know for sure, but I'd be willing to bet that Joseph, if he went to some of his friends in Egypt and he explained to them everything that his brothers had done to him, and then he says, hey, guess what? They just showed up and they're in front of me. What should I do? What do you think the answers were like? All right, you get revenge now. Put it to them show them you have every right to do whatever you want. And guess what? Joseph could have done whatever he wanted. He was the second most powerful man in Egypt. They could have come up and he could have seen them and said, chop their heads off and be done with them. And no one would have asked a question and he would have been able to do it. And in fact, I would have bet that a lot of his friends and people around him would have been. That's the right thing to do. Do that. Or make them slaves. All the things that we often can slip into kind of thinking that that would be a good way to go. But the truth is when we begin to think that way, we begin to uh, harbor our anger. We begin to kind of tell ourselves that I feel I'm right to feel this way and I can continue to feel this way and I can continue to do this. There's something that happens. You become a slave to your anger and your frustration and your disappointment and your unforgiveness. And it will eat you alive. It's not going to end well. I don't know how many of you, just thinking back at different times in your life where you feel like you are really, really wronged, and you hold a grudge, and you're really upset at someone, and you're deeply wounded, and as you just kind of nurse that, and you hold on to it, and you keep it, and you st- continue to hold that grudge for maybe a week, or a month, or a year. Or five years? Or ten years? How does that go? It's miserable. You've allowed this wrong in your life to kind of take up shop in your mind, holding you hostage to it, and you just continue to go round and round. And nothing good comes from that. You begin to agonize over it and it becomes harder and it's frustrating. And here's the thing that often happens. The person that's wronged you has since moved on and they don't even know about it. They don't even care. But yet you're allowing them to just keep this in your mind for months and years and however long. And it's miserable. You know, in Ephesians 4, right before Paul talks about this, of of putting away these things, of, of bitterness and wrath and anger and putting them away and forgiving one another. Right before that, he talks about being angry but not sinning. He says, be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, giving no opportunity to the devil. Ever thought about how that works? I don't know if you believe this or not, but spiritual warfare is real. Real. There's things going on around us that we can't see and we don't quite understand fully. But what we do know, and actually we saw in Genesis, is that Satan is like a roaring lion and he's out to destroy you. And so when you give a foothold to these things in your life and you begin to carry anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, it's like painting a big target on you. That's where I'm going to attack. Maybe not the best analogy, but I, I, I think of it this way. I go play basketball usually once or twice a week. And every time I play basketball, it's five on five. And you walk out on the court and you look at your five guys and their five guys. And you go, oh, that's our mismatch right there. That guy can't guard that guy. That's where we're going. And so to win, you're just going to give the ball to that guy over and over and go, get out of the way. Let him go. Let him score. Right? You, you've, you've identified where the weakness is and now you're going to attack it. That's exactly what Satan does. It's what my kids do to each other. <laughs> Older brother to younger brother. Jed likes so-and-so. Like He'll just throw out some name of a girl on the bus or something. And if Jed reacts, it's like blood in the water. All right, I'm going to just go after that one over and over and over again. And I don't mean to make light of it, but that's, that's what he's talking about. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't harbor these things over and over. Because if you do, you're now kind of putting this out there as this is the opportunity. This is where Satan's going to attack. And I think what happens is it begins to build in us these heart issues that are antithetical to the gospel that we proclaim. They don't deserve my forgiveness. They deserve my anger. I'm right to feel this way. Those are all the roots of self righteousness. I am better than they are, so I get to feel this way. Satan goes, aha, that's where I'm going. Right there. Over and over and over and over again. And so when we do that, we end up living miserably. So much of that becomes uh, just a continual thing that goes round and round, it's such a struggle. And so I just start there with just simply saying why we need to forgive. Because you go down the other road and it's miserable. There's nothing good that comes from this. And so you may say, well, yeah, I know that. I've been through that. I've felt that. Maybe you're in it right now, but you go, but how do you do it? How do you get there? And I think what Joseph says here gives us some great insight on how we get there. And so look at what he says there in chapter 15. So chapter 50, I'm sorry, chapter 50, not 15. Actually, go back to 45 because there's two episodes where he says almost the same thing. Go back to 45 first. And I'll tell you the difference between the two. 45 is the first time Joseph sees his brothers and he lets them know who he is. He reveals himself. They didn't know who he was. He tells them now and he shows them. Chapter 50 is Jacob. Their father has died and now they're scared all over again. Because they thought he was just being nice to him because it would upset Jacob if he wasn't. Makes sense. It's reasonable. But chapter 45, look at what happens in verse, uh, start in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Right? So this is when he gives them the big reveal. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life for the famine that has been in the land these two years. And yet there are five years in which they will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me, but God. And flip over to chapter 50. So they come back to him now that Jacob's dead and they go, oh, no, he's going to kill us for sure. Now he's going to get us and they show up again and they tell him, please, please forgive the transgressions of your servants of the God of your father. That's verse 17. Joseph wept when he spoke with them. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And so what I want you to notice is the way that Joseph frames the whole thing. What does he say? They come and rightfully. He's going to be mad at us. He's going to get us back. It's the way most of us would think. But everything he says, you meant it this way, but God meant it for this. You meant to do this, but God sent me here. You meant to do evil, but God did this. And then he gets to chapter 50 and he says, am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And in everything that Joseph says for them, he sees it in the light of what God's doing and not just his own personal hurt. He puts God at the center of the story and not himself. And he says, what you meant this way, God meant this way. And so you start to say, well, how does he forgive him? How does he get to that place? Joseph sees everything in his life, the good and the bad. Everything God's been doing is God's grace to him. The way that God was working in his life. And he sees all of it in that light. And you can read that and I can say that to you and you can go, well, great. Doesn't really help me. If you're honest, I mean, that's okay. You go, that's great for Joseph, but I'm still mad at the person I'm mad at. But I want you to realize Joseph didn't feel this way the first day. I'm going to bet that this is not the way Joseph was thinking the day they sold him into slavery and he was being taken down to Egypt. I don't think he was back in the back of the group being dragged along behind the slave owners that now own him going what they mean for evil. God means for good. I don't think. Or when he sat in prison for years for something he didn't do. Remember, this is Joseph looking back and seeing all these things in his life and how God was working and how he protected them and shaped them and humbled them and he's molding them and he delivered them. Remember, everything in Joseph's life wasn't great. There's a lot of humbling that had to go on in that process. And so you see this picture as he looks back on his whole life and he sees the way God's working and he thinks on the successes that he had and God took care of him. What was Joseph's main success? How did he get to where he got? How did he get to be the right hand man of Pharaoh? Ever think about that? What great talent did Joseph have? He he seemed to have a a gifting of leadership everywhere he went. They were quickly putting him in a place of leadership. But directly, more directly, we saw that he had the gift of discernment and he was interpreting these dreams and he was seeing what God was saying and he was willing to stand up and speak it. But but my point in that and both of those and all those things, I think Joseph can look back on his life and clearly see that it's all God's grace in his life that he suddenly knew the interpretation of these dreams. It's hard to pat yourself on the back and be like, well, I'm just so smart. I figured that all out. We'll still try. We'll still do that often. But I think it was a picture that God just shows clearly that it's his grace in his life that he allowed him to even get to where he got. And Joseph could look on his life and begin to see and realize that God was working in all these things. That God was incredibly gracious to him in all these ways and all these things. And it began to change his heart. I want you to notice that not only does he say, don't fear. Am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. But then he turns and says to them, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus be comforted. And he spoke kindly to them. Not not only did he forgive them, he wants their best. And he says, I'm going to take care of you. And you say, it's one thing to say, okay, I don't hold a grudge anymore and I forgive you. But it's an entirely different thing to now say, I'm going to take care of you and your kids. And I'm going to speak kindly to you. These are the guys that wanted to kill him. You go, how does he get to that? And I'll tell you, I think what the Bible tells us over and over is that God changes us by His grace. And as Joseph saw the grace of God in his life, it changed his heart. And it's the same way when you go, well, how do I forgive? God's grace has to change you. God has to do what you can't do for yourself. He has to make you new. God's kindness changes us. And when we see that, we begin to see clearly what God's doing and it starts to change the way we look at everything. When you think about that picture of what he does with Joseph and you say that and you can go, yeah, yeah, but but Joseph could see all these things in his life. But he got to this point and he could see how even being sold into slavery led to Potiphar, which led to the jail, which led to being with Pharaoh. And yeah, he could see all those things and he could connect all the dots, but we don't see it quite like that. Or I don't. Maybe you do. I can't put everything in my life, everything good and bad that's ever happened and see how it all works. I don't see it. Sometimes I do. Sometimes God's very gracious to allow you to see those pieces, but not always And so you can look at that and you can go, well, yeah, but Joseph had this, but we don't have the fullness. And and I would submit to you that we see God's grace much more clearly even than Joseph did. We forget that Joseph was on the the front side of the cross. Joseph's view of all this is that God has saved a people, his family, his brother, the promises he was giving to, to Jacob and his kids And he saw God's faithfulness and I'm going to bless the world through your seed and I'm going to do that. And you see Joseph using that language. You don't leave me here in Egypt. You're going to take me back to this land. God's going to do this thing. We know He's going to do it. That's why He's preserving a remnant. But He doesn't understand the fullness of that that we do. God does all that to bring the remnant to continue to preserve the seed so that Jesus can come, which we do see all of it. And you can look at how gracious God was to Joseph, and he was incredibly gracious to him all the way through it. But what we now see is that God didn't stop there. That God continued to preserve a remnant and continue to walk through all of it. All that so that he himself could come and step down and do what we could never do for us. That he could leave his throne and say, I'm going to step into this world, and I'm going to live the life that you've never lived. That is the perfect one in perfect communion with God in every way. And I'm going to do all of it. And then I'm going to get to the end of my life and I'm willfully going to go to the cross. And I'm going to go there for your sin, not my own. We often sing that. It was my sin that held him there. Think about that. Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, yours and mine, not his own. It was my sin that held him there. And so we can say, well, Joseph saw this incredible picture of God's grace. How much greater have we seen it in Jesus? It was my sin that held him there. And so when you think on that. And when you begin to see that and you begin to let that touch down in your life. And then you read Paul say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with malice, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How can we not be forgiving? And the only way is we forget who we are. We fall into that. I'm not forgiving this and I've been wronged and I am right to hold on to this. We have forgotten what we have been forgiven by Jesus. If we do that over and over. And we go, yeah, yeah, I understand that. But you don't know my case and you don't understand what they did to me. And so therefore they deserve that. Or, Or we say they don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, guess what? I don't deserve God's forgiveness. You don't either. But that's who God is. That He loves us so much that He forgives us when we don't deserve it. That's what grace means. Undeserved merit. God does what we could never do for us and then He lavishes His grace upon us. Do you see the picture of Joseph here? Not only does he forgive, he then wants their best. That's what Jesus does. I'm going to take your sin... I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to make you new. And then I'm going to give you my righteousness. And then I'm going to give you all the benefits that go with it. And you don't deserve any of it. And so when we struggle with forgiving other people. When we struggle with those things. Paul says you come back to forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Is remember who you are and what God's done for you. If this is who God is and how he responds to us in grace, that he meets us in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our rebellion, he loves us when we're unlovely. He, in the midst of dying for us, cries out, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. If that's the picture of what God is like, how do we show what he's like? Is it by holding grudges? Is it by by really angry I'm not going to forgive you? Is that what God's like? Is that what Jesus does? Thankfully, wonderfully, no. He gives us His grace and He lavishes it upon us even when we don't deserve it. So you say, well, how do we get there? You look to Jesus. You behold the grace of God and what he's done in Christ, and you let that change you. The good news in all of that is when you do, there's a wonderful freedom that comes with it. I started at the beginning by telling you why you need to forgive. why we have to forgive because it will eat you alive. You're placing yourself in a spot that you're never supposed to be in. You're taking the place of God, which is exactly what Joseph sees here. He removes himself from the place of God. You meant it this way, but God meant it this way, and I'm going to rely on what he's doing. And so when we begin to do that, and we begin to forgive, and we let go of all that bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness, we begin to see the God... Uh, of grace and His grace in our life and that begins to melt our heart. It begins to make us, as Paul says, tender-hearted. There's this incredible thing that happens. You don't have to carry around that hatred. You don't have to carry around that unforgiveness. You can lay those things down. And there's a wonderful relief that comes in that. Because you were never supposed to be in that place to begin with. And there's a joy that comes from walking that way. I, I can speak from experience. I've tried it both ways. It's so much better when you give it to God. You just say, I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to rest in what God's doing in Jesus. Jesus. And not only that, what God tells us, and I think that's what happened with Joseph, is that he changes people when they see God's grace. Now, now that doesn't mean, and, and I'm going to go back and just say this, there's going to be times where you decide to forgive and you're going to be gracious and you're going to show what Jesus is like and people are still going to be mean to you. That's going to happen. They're not going to care. And that's really, really hard but you get to just entrust yourself to the one who judges justly and rest in his grace and let God have it. And you don't have to worry about that. And there's a wonderful freedom that exists and comes with that. I think you see that with Joseph. They come to him again, worried that he's going to kill him. And it says Joseph wept when he spoke to them. I think part of that's just like, guys, you're not getting it. I'm not out to get you. Not only do I forgive you, I'm going to take care of you and your kids. And you see this beautiful picture as he extends the grace to his brothers. And so I want us just to think about this as we end this morning. What would it look for you like for you in your life today? Who is it that you're carrying that? I'm willing to bet there's a lot of that going on. If we're real honest, there's probably a lot of different things in our life right now where we're still holding on to that bitterness and unforgiveness. And we're struggling with that. And you've been carrying it so long that you don't even realize what it's done about Jesus saying, "Come to me, all you that are heavy-laden, I will give you rest. You don't have to carry this. Jesus tells you, just, just give it to me, and I got it." And I started with a very personal example in my life about a guy who was, in a lot of ways, directly responsible for my little brother dying. And he got two weeks of community service. And they came to our family and they asked us, what do you want them to do for community service? We can have some input. And and my sister and my brother and my parents, we all talked about it. So we want him to do two weeks at Camp All-American in in, uh, Johns Creek. It's a Christian camp where Jed worked for three years. And the reason we asked is because a lot of Jed's friends are still there. And we knew the guy that ran it. And he said, great, have him come here. And for two weeks, I'm going to tell him the gospel. He said, awesome. Do that. And so I remember talking with Jeremiah on the phone, and I said, He said, Are you mad that he only got two weeks? I said, No, I'm not mad. I'm really not. He said, Neither am I. I said, well, good. I said, What do you. And he said, Well, the way I see it is if we lose Jer- Jed for 40 or 50 years on this earth, and God sees fit to bring us a new brother in Christ through this, then we will celebrate with Jed for eternity with our brother in Jesus. He said, yeah. And you know what? I'm not mad at that guy at all. I pray that God would bring him into the family. That we would get to celebrate for eternity together. And the only reason can even begin to think that way is because of what Jesus has done for me. It's exactly what he did in my life. A broken, messed up sinner that he allowed his grace to see him. How can I not forgive? There's glorious good news in the gospel for everyone. There's glorious joy and peace and rest in that comes in forgiving and entrusting it to Jesus. That's not just words. That's just not like, oh, Jesus, and you'll have joy and peace. You can really rest that He's in control of all of this because of who He is and what He's done. And there's a glorious joy that comes from living and showing what He's like instead of harboring all these other things. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news that you saved us by no doing of our own, that you are so gracious and so kind, and so loving, that yet while we were sinners that you died for us. That you chose to come and lay down your life, to be crucified for my sin. All we can say is thank you. I pray that that would be so real to our hearts that it would transform the relationships of our lives. That we would seek to be so gracious and so kind. That we would see so real today what you've done for us. That it would transform the way we see everyone around us. And that it would be for your glory. That your name would be lifted up. That you would be exalted through that. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.